This is Chad Harrison, and you're listening to Hope Alive, applying God's word to your daily life. Hi, this is Chad Harrison, and I am the teaching pastor of Lake Community Church and have been serving as a pastor for 25 years. I'm also a practicing attorney. This podcast is designed to help you study God's word and find God's will for your life. I pray in the name of Jesus right now that God would open up his word to you and allow you to see him and to know him and to know his will, that you might glorify him and that you might walk in faith and power each and every day, especially today in Jesus name. Psalm 87 is a, I don't know how to describe it to you other than it is an interesting psalm. It is very short. It's seven verses, not the shortest psalm there is, but a very short psalm. And it deals with a praise of Jerusalem or uh, Mount Zion and God's um, love for that place and uh, his, his work through that place. It has several passages in it that several parts of it that seem to be very prophetic to me. I'm not saying that that this is some key insight into any, but the way the wording is used and and the way dichotomies are drawn in it, it, it seems to me to have a flavor of prophecy, especially a flavor of bringing in several stories and scriptures. And any anytime, anytime something in the Bible uh, draws in. Uh, a lot of stories from out from without from the whole of scripture it is very for me it it ties things together and it teaches us stuff that we we might not see it's kind of like a junction point for a, a railway where four or five different railheads come in together and meet it ties some things together and links some things in a way that that you don't know i i think of the roll call of faith in hebrews 13 and and some other passages like that just off the top of my head that, that just pull together a whole lot of stuff. And when it pulls it together, it gives you, if you just kind of spend some time with it, it gives you some insights into understanding how scripture is intertwined. And, and scripture is intertwined. So the Bible is, I, I like to think of it as a, as a beautiful silk garment. It is, if you get a pull in a silk garment, it pulls all the way down to all kinds of areas of the garment that you didn't imagine that it would because they're so inter all the uh, parts of the garment are so intertwined together it's so uh, intricate in its time the word of god is that way too it is very it's every passage every book every chapter has a has a tie to the rest of scripture and in some way it unveils the rest of scripture and in other ways, it is unveiled by the rest of Scripture. And you just, when we're studying God's Word, you need to understand that there's an element of just reading and meditating and thinking about God's Word that needs to be done in order to understand it in its depth and in its full, because it, it almost has to soak on you. You almost have to soak in it. You almost have to marinate in the Word of God so that you get just a natural feel for it. Oftentimes we talk about in athletics and things like that, that you have to just do it over and over again in order to get the, the law is that way. Practice the law is that way. you just have to be in a situation over and over again to get the nuances of everything that's going on. And so also, but more powerfully and more intricately 
is the Word of God. You've got to spend time thinking and considering things. I, I found it so shocking in some of the places that I've been and and among some of the people that I've been, how little God's people know God's Word. How little they know, and I'm not talking about being able to you know, parse uh, scripture. I'm not talking about explaining how the book of Genesis relates to the book of John, or I'm not talking about I'm not talking about those very deep, nuanced things. I'm just talking knowing the stories of the Old Testament, knowing the uh, parables of Christ, knowing the uh, the stories of Christ's life, knowing just some of the basic teachings of, of James and Philippians and Ephesians and Colossians and Galatians and and understanding that the history of, of the book of Acts and the journeys, the missionary journeys of Paul and Silas and Barnabas and understanding, just understand the general flow of scripture and, and the stories that go along with it and what happens in those stories. And you say, I don't really know that. We need to really start studying the Bible, read the Bible, just read it as God just writing you a letter and letting you know about things that happen. And that's the begins the process of marinating in God's word and allowing your heart and your mind to see the overall general way God has written his word and what he's related to you. And, and by doing that, you give yourself an opportunity to the depths of God's word. That's why we spend, that's why the focus of our ministry to the children of our church is not, it's not that we're not going to teach them in the uh, room. Uh, that they go to during the sermon. We're not going to teach them what I'm teaching in the sermon. We're going to teach them Bible stories. Why? Because Bible stories planted in the heart of children marinate in their heart, and it begins to change their heart and their mind and how they think, and it allows them opportunity down the road for God to really begin to show them the deep things of who he is, but those stories are the foundation. They lay a foundation of faith that's out there in their hearts. And then when they get to be teenagers and young adults, if they have that foundation of the word of God, not a, a good program, but a actual foundation of the word of God, when they have the foundation of God's word in their heart, then when trouble and difficulty comes, they begin to lean back on that truth. And then they their lives are, are, are empowered by God's word and they turn toward it in a fullness that you don't see. And let me say this, I have seen that in, in my life with my children. And so it is important that you see that, especially if you're a young person or you're a grandparent and you have children who have young grandchildren, that you need to emphasize to them, you don't have to beat them up with it, but emphasize the importance of regularly being in the word of God for your children. Regularly hearing the stories of Jericho and Daniel in the lion's den and, and Joshua and I just David and, and Ruth and just going over and over just so many stories and those stories being told. I know that was a little bit of a, a little bit of a rabbit trail, but it has, it's, it's had great significance for a person's life far after the Bible story was told. What things do we have in our lives that have great significance and value 10, 15, 20 years after the incident actually happened. How much of a, of a blessing is it to have been in a Sunday school class or a, or a children's church and be seven and eight years old and have been taught God's word and then when I'm 28 years old, it come alive to me in, a, in such a way 
that it's so powerful that it's life-changing to me. What things do we do each day and each week that have that kind of potential? And I would say that the, the, the things that we do each week that have that kind of potential are minimal, are very minimal. But I would say that great significance happens when God's people are marinated in God's, whether they be adults, but especially if they're children. He says, uh, this is a Psalm of Korah, uh, Psalm 87. His foundation is in his, the holy mountain. You can actually uh, translate this foundation. It just starts. This is the foundation. He says is in his holy mountain, which means that God sets himself up in power and his holy mountain, the holy is considered Jerusalem itself, okay? Jerusalem is on a on is on a mountain and it is uh way above Jericho. That's why when the man it's part of the uh story of the Good Samaritan is going to Jericho, he's going down to Jericho because Jericho is one of the one of the it is the lowest city in the world as far as elevation it's far below sea level and then jerusalem's far way above sea level so it's almost like a direct downhill trip from jericho to jerusalem even though they're not very far apart they're not any more than 15 20 miles apart and his foundation is in his holy mountain meaning god has a a a fortress a foothold a a, 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 a strong foundation. And when I, even when I start reading, when I start reading that, I think about the foundational issues of, of how you disciple people. And the best foundation for discipleship, it, the only foundation for discipleship is God's word. And the best time to start uh, discipling someone in God's word or, or start uh, teaching them and giving them opportunities to think about and talk about God's word is today. The best time to start is today. And it doesn't matter if the person is three or the person is 70. The best time to start talking about God's word with somebody is today. It's, it's now, even literally right now. It is what we need to be doing. You do not know how badly our children need to hear the stories or the tellings of the word of God. He says, the Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the dwellings of Jacob. And there is a dichotomy here that is huge in this verse. And anytime I see huge dichotomies, it makes me, I, I'm going to tell you, I don't have a firm foundation in understanding exactly what all the nuances that are going on in this, in this psalm is, are, but, but, he says, the Lord loves the gates of Zion, meaning his place and his fundamental foundation. He, he loves that. And the gates of Zion are the entry points where God's people come in. Ah, boy, I don't even, I don't even know how to tell you the importance of that first song in a worship service. It's the importance of how how it is brought to the people, the importance of how the people come in. I, I can't tell you how important that is. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and enter his courts with praise. The gate, the, the entry point into his presence is a powerful and important place. In fact, the gate of Zion is who? It is Jesus. He says, I, he says in the New Testament, I am the gate. I am the entry point. I'm the way you're getting in. How honoring is it 
for us to, to enter into his gates with thanksgiving and praise. And shouldn't we, if you think about it, when worship starts, when we begin, shouldn't we be fired up about entering his gates with thanksgiving and entering his courts of praise? I think about how we start our worship service with Terry going up front, and he sure he does some announcements. Um, sure, he maybe maybe points the church in a certain direction as we begin the worship service, and he prepares us us to begin with prayer. And what a, well, that's what we that's what the the reason he's up there is because he's got that he's got that ability to uh, to be deep and also to bring joy and, and laughter and fun to the moment because it is a time of joy and thanksgiving and celebration to enter in that time. So you get the fun, you get the depth, you get the prayer, you, you get an opportunity for, for to set the tone of seeking out the will and the plan of God for the church and for the individuals there in the church. And, and, and so what, what we're doing there is we're setting the, st- we're, we're setting the table and, and that starts with the gate and how beautiful is the gate of Zion. And the dichotomy is more than all the dwellings of Jacob. Now, remember the dwellings of Jacob is everywhere that he's lived, all the places that Jacob had lived. But remember the word Jacob <clears throat> is his fleshly name. His original name, which means thief and liar. It's, it, this passage does not say the dwelling places of Israel, which was his name of promise and hope and redemption. Jacob had his name changed to Israel when he really met with God, when he, he came to face to face with the angel of the Lord and he wrestled with him on, on, on the Jerusalem side of the river. And when that happened, his name was changed to a name of promise and hope, and that name was Israel. But Jacob is the name of the flesh and all the things. And so it, the dichotomy, isn't it more wonderful to be in the presence and the power of God than it is to be in this fleshly world that we live in? Is, no matter how great the dwelling place is, no matter how beautiful the place is, no matter how wonderful the place is, it is far better to be in the presence of God than to be anywhere else, than to be anywhere else. And uh, we, su- we sang that song. We, we've seen the psalm a couple of weeks ago, how lovely is his dwelling place. It's better to be uh, one day in his house than a thousand of any place else. And this makes that, that makes that statement that it is better to be that hour and 15 minutes depending on how long the pastor goes. That hour and 15 minutes, sometimes he's a little long-winded. If you notice that, he gets sweaty too. The it, No matter how long that time period is, you can't, that time with God is more special and greater than any single day of the week or, or month of the year or year of a lifetime. It is a great time with God. Uh, and it is to be thought of that way. Glorious things are spoken of you, O city of God. I think uh, when we're there, we do get to hear the city of God is a picture of, of the plan of God for us. And it's the plan is planned out intimately and intricately. In fact, Jesus said he go, goes and prepares a dwelling place. And we're, by the time we get to the end of the revelation, you're going to see the Jerusalem that is being prepared to be brought down from heaven and for us to live in. 
and and it's the city of God, and it is intricate and powerful and wonderful and amazing, and it is made for us. And how well, how glorious it is to be in the midst of the plan of God. Uh, it is glorious. It is powerful. It is, it is amazing. He says, "I will make mention of Rahab and Babylon to those who know me." And note, Rahab is, is has two meanings in in scripture. Uh, first of all, we just go to the woman that is Rahab, and Rahab is the uh, prostitute in Jericho who helps the spies map out the city. And uh, she and her part of the wall of Jericho, where her house is, is saved because because she joined the uh, plan of God, and God saved her out of it. And let me tell you something, that's a picture of the church. Rahab is a picture of the church, a uh, picture of redemption from the world. And she's, she is, she's actually in the line of Christ, which is even more a wonderful thing, a wonderful part of the, the story of God's life that God takes her, someone that no one would ever expect God to do anything with and does wonderful things through and for her. And that's why anytime I meet with someone who, whose heart is broken and tender, toward God, even if they're in the worst of places, which I meet people in the worst of places, the very worst of places. And and that tenderness toward God is a place of hope for me. And you say, I don't want to hear about jailhouse conversion. I don't care whether you want to hear about jailhouse conversion. God wants to hear about them. So he's good with it. I'm good with it. Your attitude toward it has nothing to do with whether or not God's actually working. And side note there, and Christian's attitude toward other people actually have experiencing the grace and mercy of God sometimes shocks me. Anyway, oftentimes it reveals a lack of understanding of God and maybe even a lack of a relationship with God. I want his grace to shower down on everyone. And how much more do I want it to shower down on those who are in the worst and the most difficult uh, places in their lives? And if it were so that God could not redeem some, then God's power is limited. And I know that ain't true. And if, if you'd spend a little more time in scripture, you'd know that ain't true either. Just a little side note for those who might hear it today, down the road, maybe even years and years from now. Be careful about your judgmentalism. He says, he says, I will make mention of Rahab. And then he mentions Babylon. By the way, Rahab is also a, a pseudonym for Egypt, which is the world. Okay, so Rahab, she's a picture of the world, and then she's a picture of the promises of God, the transition of God from the world to to God's grace and mercy. She's a wonderful picture in Scripture. Even not out, not only transitioned into God's grace and your mercy, but being a part of God's plan of bringing about redemption for the world. Powerful story, obviously. And then he says, and Babylon, and by the way, if you didn't know the story of Rahab, you probably need to study it. Why? You need to look at it because she is a, a important figure of the Old Testament. It, it says, and Babylon to those who know me. Well, Babylon, anytime you hear the word Babylon, period, end of story, the first thing you think of is false religion. It is the center and the center point of false religion. And he, he, he says, he says, I'm going to tell you of Rahab, which is a picture of worldliness into the very plan of God and, and false religion. He's making a dichotomy there. They're two totally opposing stories that he's talking about here. He says, behold, to those who know me, behold, O Philistia and Tyre and Ethiopia, 
This one was born there. What he's saying here is he's bringing in Philistia. The Philistines occupied the land. They were enemies of God. And then you've got Tyre, which is a uh, city in Lebanon, north of uh, Israel, which also, which Jesus actually visited. And it is a place where the world is real close to entering in. And, and it, 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 Tyre has some very important implications toward God bringing the Gentiles into his plan and into his kingdom. And then he mentions Ethiopia and Ethiopia is always a picture of God's grace extending to the ends of the earth because you have multiple stories of the Queen of Sheba, which is in Ethiopia or in the area of Ethiopia. You have the Ethiopian eunuch. You continually have the story of God, God's redemption plan reaching the ends of and, and Cush or Ethiopia is a place of God reaching out and pouring out his grace on all of the Gentiles. Notice this is bringing in stories of uh, <clears throat> people who are just absolutely uh, opposed to God's will and the Philistines, Tyre and Ethiopia. What he's showing us really is as he's praising his plan for the world, he is showing us how his plan is operating. He's showing us the depth and the importance of, I think you need to hear this, the depth and importance of studying God's word. He says, and Zion, it will be said, the one and the one were born in her. <clears throat> Notice this is talking about Jesus. This is a prophecy of Jesus. He says, the one was born there and the Zion, it will be, and, and of Zion, it will be said, this one and the one were born in her. What he's talking about, this is speaking of Jesus. This is a, 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 a allusion to a, a coming Messiah, a coming and that being a part of the foundational plan of God and the work of God in the world. Meaning all these stories that he's mentioning, all these things that he's bringing up, all have a plan and a purpose to them. He says, and the most high himself shall establish her. Meaning Jerusalem is established in order to prove and to show the great plan of God. And Jerusalem is a very important place in the plan of God. And it is the city on the hill. It's the place where God is revealing his plan to the world. It's, it's the place where Abraham took Isaac to sacrifice him and then did not sacrifice him because he, God placed a ram in the thicket. It's the place where David established uh, uh, a city for God. It is the place where where Jesus came and 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 was crucified, buried, and rose again. It's the place where the tabernacle was finally the final destination of the tabernacle. It's the place where the temple of God is built. It is the place of God's plan to reveal Himself to the world, and Jesus is the culmination of that whole plan. And the most, he says, he's going to, most high is going to establish himself there. He's going to make himself known. His establishment is going to go worldwide there. The Lord will record when he has registered the peoples. The one was born there. And he keeps saying the one born there. The one who is supposed to be is born there. And, and notice this is an allusion to the Gentiles. He says the Lord will record when he registers the peoples. He's going, he, he, he has a plan to bring all peoples as a, all the people of the earth as a part of his plan and bring them into the redemption story. Both the singers and the players on the instruments say, all my springs are in you. And this is going back to the worship service, going back to the 
purpose of coming together in corporate worship and the, the singers and the players, they play and that's where the, the water of the washing of God's Holy Spirit takes place. I can't emphasize the spiritual significance of worship to you enough. I can't do it enough. Your worship washes yourself, but it also washes those around you. It cleanses them. It, even if they don't have the spiritual understanding or the spiritual strength to do it, some people would come in and they are just so beat down hard pressed by the world and covered in the sin and the decadence of the world that they can't wash themselves. They're, they're in need of nurses and doctors to, to come and clean them. And that's just one of the jobs you have in worship because your worship, your genuine worship cleanses those around you as well as cleanses you. A fountain of living water flows out of you. And if you really could understand the significance of your singing and your, and your entering into his presence and its significance, not just for you, but for the whole congregation and especially those who really don't have anything, really don't have any hope, really are struggling in the moment. It is life giving. And this final verse seven speaks to that in a way you don't know. As we go through the picture of entering in, the picture of the tabernacle or the temple is a picture of worship and entering into worship. And we already talked about entering his gates, gates with thanksgiving and his courts of praise. And the first place you come to is this giant bowl, brass bowl of water that was there for cleansing. And this is what that is. But notice this cleansing water that we have is not just in a bowl that has to be changed out. It's, it's a spring of water. It's a, it's a, it's a source of water that just keeps on coming more and washing and, and cleansing those around us. And I guess I would end this song, which has carried us down so many rabbit holes and so many rabbit trails. And there are so many things in here that just speak to all kinds. Like I said, it ties all kinds of stuff up in God's word. But, but this, when we get to this final verse, uh, it, it takes us back to the significance of what we're doing. We're not doing a religious ceremony when we meet together. We're, we're actually worshiping and hearing uh, God's word, and, and we're actually entering into his presence. We're actually washing, being washed by his word, being changed by him, and we're glorifying the finished work of Jesus Christ. And so it, it, it is so important. As you go today, I pray that the Lord will bless you and keep you, that he'll make his face to shine upon you, and that he will give you hope and peace today in Jesus' name.